times now. What else are you supposed to say when you're the only guy talking? I guess that's like a, that's a lazy man's intro, I guess. Sorry, you caught me. Pastor's on vacation this week. He took the family to go see uh, Dawson down in Pensacola. There's the right word. And so they're down there. Uh, I don't think they're doing the Disney World thing, but they're, they're just going to hang out. It's the beach. I mean, why, you don't need Disney World when you got the beach, right? And so he is down there. And we are starting our new series today, uh, as you can see, called Father of Faith. And over the next three weeks, we're going to take a look at the life of Abraham. And we're going to uh, study out his story and how it plays into our lives today and how we have faith. But I feel that it is only right that we start a series entitled Father of Faith, The Life of Abraham. By standing and singing the, the classic song, Father Abraham. Are you guys ready for this? I'm only kidding. I'm not going to make you do it. Some of you just got really nervous. Like, what is he talking about? Okay, so let's take a poll. How many of you know what song I was just talking about, Father Abraham? Okay, put your hands down. Now, if you're brave enough to admit it, admit it how many of you would say, I have no clue what song you're talking about? Okay, so if you just raise your hand, come to the stage. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> So Father Abraham is basically the Christian version of the hokey pokey. Like, I don't know any other, any other way to explain it. But it goes, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. And then you do like this right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, nod your head, you turn around, and then you sit down. And some versions even add the, like, tongue out, like, like you can get pretty crazy with it. I don't, I don't know. But uh, this is what they do with children's church, okay? Um, yeah, but uh, a little back history here on Abraham before we get started in our text this morning. Um, we're not going to go in great detail as uh, it's a huge story that would take literally hours and weeks to talk about in detail if we were to look at the past life of Abraham with his, how it came from his father and uh, if you look at his lineage and then his sons and his grandsons and where we are today. So we're not, those details aren't what's important, but over the next several weeks we're going to look at the various parts of his life and see how that applies to us. And today we're going to be in Hebrews 11. If you've got a bulletin, there are notes there on the right side of it. I would encourage you uh, to follow along there. But before we read uh, in our scripture, in our text this morning, um, there's something you should know about Abraham. And if you know, maybe you know this already, maybe you don't. And again, I'm not going to go into great length of detail here. But all three major faith traditions, so that is talking about Christianity, Judaism and Islam, those are considered the three major faith traditions. They all have three things in common. And uh, that would be, number one, they all believe that there was a God who created the world, right? And I think most of us say, yeah, we believe that. And they, they might refer to him as Allah or some other name. That's not the, the point that we're looking at right here. But that's what they believe. They believe, secondly, that there was a man named Adam. Adam came to earth. In Islam, they consider him the first prophet. In Christianity, we consider him the first man, and we all know, and they all, Judaism and, and Islam and Christianity all believe that because of man and because of sin, man brought sin into this world, and then the world became cursed, right? So those are the two first things they believe, but then they all three also believe in this guy by the name of Abraham, right? Abraham was a guy that God used to bring about change to this fallen world, this sinful world. Man brought sin into the world. And, and the world was in chaos and in disarray, and yet God looked at Abraham, and he used Abraham to bring about this change. And when we, we know this, when we talk about him, uh, about Abraham, we know that he was used by God to correct these fellings of the world, the, the fellings of sin that, that I brought up on the world, that you brought up on the world, that mankind brought. And 
the thing that we know about this also is that all three faiths have these things in common right here, and they all come together. And I, and I say faiths, I use that term loosely. Please don't, uh, I'm not advocating um, Islam or Judaism, so don't twist my words, please. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is they all came together here, then they also all went apart, and they all went in their different directions. And that's important as we look at this because um, it's a vital part of this story in our faith, in, in our, what we believe. Um, before Abraham was Abraham, he was referred to as Abram. So today when I'm, when I'm speaking, I'm going to use the word Abraham the whole time. But when we read our text, it might say Abram. That is not to confuse anyone. It's just it's the same person. Back in the day, though, um, they did a lot of name changing, which was really weird. Names that were actually given to you based, based off of meaning, not just because it was a trending name in the 2018 baby book um, or whatever year that they were born in, right? Um, so those two terms that I use, Abram, Abraham, they mean the same thing, same person. Uh, don't be confused by that. And then I want you to look at two other terms that I'm going to use today interchangeably. And, and so when I say one or the other, I mean both because they really mean the same. And that is the word trust and faith. And I, I put in your notes there as well the Greek meaning of these words. And you might say, Pastor Cole, anytime you preach, you usually refer to Greek. I know, and I'm not a Greek guy. I'm not that smart. I cheat, and I'm going to let you know about my secret. It's this website called thebluelletterbible.org, and you should write that down. Blueletterbible.org. It's basically um, cheating because we live in 2018, and we don't have to have the, the four huge stacks that are in pastor's office, those Greek lexicons that have all the Strong's numbers above the words. And you can just Google it, and it will tell you the meanings of these words. In the New Testament, it's Greek. In the Old Testament, you've got the Hebrew and the Aramaic. And you can click on it, and you can go to it, and it just will give you more details. So if you're doing a personal Bible study, and you're wanting to know, and you don't understand what the verse is saying, Google that verse. Go to that thing. Click on the, the Strong's Concordance number, and it, it'll break it down for you. As they would say in the Army, Barney style, referring to the purple dinosaur. So the, it's very simple. And so I like to use that, and that's where I get this information. But I want you to look at these two words, trust and faith. In the New Testament, the two words, um, I, I don't speak Greek, so I'm not going to attempt to pronounce them for you, but they're there. But I want you to look at this definition of trust. Trust is to have, what's that word there? Faith in, upon, or with respect to a person or a thing. To think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, place confidence in. So we see faith there is tied into the meaning of, of trust. Now look at the, the word for, for faith, the definition here. Conviction of the truth of anything. Belief. Conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust. And holy forever born of faith and joined with it. Belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence, whether in God or in Christ, springing from faith in the same. So faith and trust really are the same thing. It's just trust is the non-Christian way to say it, right? Faith means I am putting most of it, I am putting my belief, and I am tying this with God. Trust is just saying, hey, I trust it, right? You don't have necessarily have faith in that chair that you're sitting in, but you have trust in the chair that you're sitting in. Um, you don't know how it was designed or how it was made, but you just trust that the manufacturer has put it together and it's holding you up and you're sitting there today, right? So that's, that's, a, that's a form, a very general definition of trust and faith. Um, but we're going to look at Hebrews 11 here, verse 8. And as we get into our text, um, I want you to, to read this with me. And there's, there's three key words that I, I, want, I want us to say aloud here. By 
Say it with me, church. I think you can do a little better. That was, that was like, uh, I'm still kind of asleep. Let's try it again. Bye. There it is. Faith. Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, say this word, obeyed, and he went out. What are the next two words? Not knowing whether he went. So this verse here in Hebrews, in the New Testament, is so important. I mean, this is an Old Testament story that happened all the way back in the book of Genesis, but yet it's now referenced in the New Testament because it's so important that they mention it again. And here's the thing. It's mentioned, but just the basics. There's no details. They don't tell you about Abraham and um, his wife and, and how they had a child and he was the father of nations, all the different other things that go into this play. It just says, by faith, he was called, he obeyed, he didn't know. So he had faith, he obeyed, and he didn't know the outcome. And the details aren't always important, am I right? Most of you, again, go, let's use the silly chair illustration. Details aren't important. You don't know how the engineers or manufacturers who made these Bertolini chairs that you're sitting in were put together. Now, some of you nerds might. I mean, you, who, any engineers in here? You'll admit it now that I just called you a nerd. I'm sorry. I, I just, just, it's a joke. It's not an insult, right? So you might understand the process of how they calculate and put all the numbers into the machines that manufacture them and bend them and make sure they're not going to break and they're going to last for years and they're stuffed and the cushion won't fall out, right? You get that. Uh, you don't know the details. And some of you are like, I could care less about the details. I'm just sitting in it. And, and that's okay. And some of you might have even came to faith the same way. When you came to faith, you didn't know the details. All you know is that the Holy Spirit convicted you if you're a believer in Christ and you said, I realize that I'm a sinner, I realize that I need a Savior, and I hear this preacher or I hear that person telling me that I need God. But you, you couldn't tell me anything at the time when you came to faith about creation. You couldn't tell me anything about the book of Revelations or, or Jesus' life on earth or how he was used or his disciples. You didn't know that because the details weren't important. And so don't get lost in the fact that the details aren't important. But I want us to focus on these three specific things that are not in detail of his life. Um, and, and this is where our faith comes into play, and, and the th questions that we've got to ask ourselves as we've talked this morning about faith, and specifically trust and faith, is do we have faith, and do we obey, and when we don't see how or why or what the outcome will be, are we willing to have that faith? There's the old hymn, right? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. But yet those two simple terms, trust obey. They're so difficult to actually apply and to live by. And before we read this short um, portion of, of the Genesis account of, of Abraham in, in chapter 12 of Genesis and chapter 15, I'm just going to read a couple verses from both of those. I, I want to kind of set it up here and, and see how this can apply to us today if we were to look at modern context and faith. And if you have children, right, in this room, or you've had or you were a child, right? I think that covers everybody, right? So even if you don't have children, you were once a child. You all know this, right? Children do some pretty messed up things. How many of you would say, yes, my child has done some gross things in their time? Yeah, right? Um, how many of you would say, I was the child who did the gross things? Like, that was me. Um, anybody seen that commercial that was on TV about the, I think, I don't even remember what it was for, but it was a teacher. And this little girl runs up to her teacher and the teacher is like, oh, thank you. You made me cookies. And the, and the teacher takes it and takes a bite of it. 
and she starts to chew it, and she says, uh-huh, I made them with hot dogs. And the teacher, like, spits them out. That's disgusting. That's gross, right? This is what kids do. So I want you, you're, you might be thinking, how does this story have anything to do with faith in, in Abraham? But it's going to make sense in a moment, I promise. So about two weeks ago, my wife was, uh, I sent my wife out to go on a date um, with, by herself or with Tara. Was it with Tara? I think it was with Tara. I said date. That was the wrong time to pause. That was a terrible time to pause. I sent my wife on a date. Um, so I said, you know, honey, she works with kids all day. She's a teacher. And then, of course, we've got three little rugrats, ages almost two. Well, he'll be two on the 7th um, of this month in just a few days. And then I have got a four-year-old and a six-year-old, right? And so when you're with kids all the, day, all, all the time, all the day long, like, you sometimes just need a break. And you need to, to get some alone time and do what it is that girls do, you know, your nails, your hair, whatever. I don't, I don't care. I don't attempt to know or understand it, and I won't try to guess. Um, so I said, I said, honey, go out, enjoy a meal, just relax. I'll take care of the kids tonight. And um, it was good. And so um, I feel like my wife hadn't even been gone maybe five minutes, if that. It could have been longer. Um, I sent my kids upstairs to go play. I was like, hey, you guys go upstairs and play. Daddy's going to do some homework, and then I'll get dinner for you, and we'll watch a movie or do whatever that we do. And so while the kids were upstairs, I mean, I was sitting on the couch supervising like any good dad while they were upstairs working on my homework. And it hadn't even been, but maybe, <clears throat> like I said, I thought it was just a few minutes, but it wasn't that long. And all of a sudden, I hear this. Dad! This was my oldest daughter. Dad, Andy's coloring. And I think to myself, oh boy, Andy's the one that's not two yet. Why does he have colors? And I'm assuming when she says colors, they're the markers that are in her room on the little whiteboard that she has. And um, so then as I, I hear her say that, then I start to hear the little footsteps coming down the stairs in a little whimpering, almost crying voice because his sister had just narked him out. Saying, Daddy, I had a color on myself. Daddy, I had a color on myself. And uh, it's so awesome. I, I want you to look at this. The picture doesn't do it justice. You can't really tell. Go ahead and show the picture back there. There it is. So <laughs> he took the marker and went to China. Like, he was just like, he went to town. An aspiring tattoo artist. Uh, I got really cheap deals after church. Just see me, and we will we'll hook you up. They're not permanent, but hey. Um, if you're interested, let me know. And then, so, it was kind of funny. I took a big, I, it was such a cute moment, but a, an embarrassing and like, oh, moment, that I was like, I got to pull my phone out and record this and, and send it to mom. So, show the, you're going to have to turn it up because it's not, the volume's kind of low, but crank it up. What did you do? On my, You colored on your what? You colored on your arms? Well, let me see the other one. Let me see those. Oh, you did a good job, bud. No, he didn't. Good job. What did you do? That's my favorite part. I, I didn't catch it at the moment. You colored on it your what? It repeated itself. You go to the next one. You colored on your own. There it goes. Sorry. I forgot to tell that not to repeat. My I said, good job, bud. It's being a little bit sarcastic. And <laughs> my daughter said, no, he didn't. <laughs> well, so this is, this is what it is. So, right, here's what I did. Andy came down the stairs. He showed me the mess that he had made. And this is what I said. I said, Andy, you stupid idiot. What is wrong with you? 
why would you take those markers and why would you color all over yourself? Don't you know that markers are for whiteboards and papers? Don't you know they're not for the walls and they're not for your toys? Now you just stand there and you cry and you figure it out and you clean up your mess. And then when you get it cleaned up, you come see me and you come talk to me. Some of you are laughing and some of you are not sure. Is this guy serious? <laughs> and I didn't say that. I didn't. But yet, and this is where the application is, now that you realize I didn't mean it, you don't believe for a, a minute that that's what I did with my two-year-old son who had made a mess out of things. But here's where it applies. We look at God and we think, that's how God is when it comes to our mess. That God is just saying, hey, you've made a mess. You fix it. You figure it out. And then when you have it figured out, then you can come see me. Then you can come talk to me. And that's just not true. And here's why that's not true. Because if you say, hey, I don't believe that you would talk to your son that way, but I believe God would deal that way with me and with our sin, what you're actually saying is that I am more holy than God. And that is blasphemy. And you wouldn't actually say it that way, but that's essentially what you're saying. And here's the thing. Uh, and here's how our thinking is flawed. And this is what I did. So my son's standing there. He's covered in marker. And I'm trying to do homework, and the kids are playing, and i got to make dinner. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I don't even know what awaits me at the top of those stairs. And I don't want to know what awaits me. And I did what any dad or any parent would do, right? I went to the sink. I got a soapy rag and got the water warm. And I said, I don't know where to start with this mess. It's so big that I don't know where to start. But you know what I did? I started. I took his arms. I started to clean his arms and finally got it all off. And we went upstairs and, and, I, and I finished cleaning the rest of the, the mess that he had made. And now here's how this applies with, with Abraham. The same is true for him. The world was a mess. The world was chaos. Adam and Eve sinned. Now we're all sinners. Now we're all just doing our own thing, doing what we want. And God had a choice, right? He said, he, he created us. He could have looked at us and said, you know what? This is hopeless. This world that I created is out of control. I'm done. I'm just going to start over and wipe him out and be done with it. No, he didn't. He chose one man. He looked down, he saw Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to choose you to clean up all this mess, to change all of this, and to make things right. And if you're like me, you probably try to justify these things in your mind and this thinking and how, well, God picked one man, yeah, but he was in the Bible, and, and these guys in the Bible, they're really good guys, and they're really holy, and they're really perfect, and and even though we read their stories and we realize how terrible some of these men and women were, we still have that false shelf that we put them on and we say, well, these guys were different. And that's just not the case. Abraham wasn't a, a solid guy himself either. I mean, there are definitely some worse guys in the Bible or gals you could look at. But if you, if you were to read the story, I mean, Genesis 12, just to paraphrase it for you, right? Um, he's obeying God. He's leaving and he's with his wife, Sarah, but he knows they're going um, and where they're going, that the Egyptians are there and that they're going to take his wife because she's young, she's pretty. They're like, hey, that's going to be my wife. So he says, I'm a, you know what, I'm going to lie. You're my sister. Uh, how would that make you feel, ladies, right? And your husband just says, oh, you're my sister. 
And so he lies, and then they, he was right. The Egyptians took her and gave her to Pharaoh, and then time passes, and then eventually Pharaoh um, is cursed and has some, some issues and some plagues there. And, and God gives, or Pharaoh gives him back to Abraham and says, go, go away. Why did you lie to me? Right? So he wasn't perfect. He had issues, but God still used him, and he, God still had to start somewhere. So he started with that man, Abraham. So this is where we pick up in Genesis 12. All right? Genesis 12. We're going to read these first four verses, just four verses. Genesis 12, verse 1. It says this. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And now he gives him three promises, and we're about to see these in verse 2. And we know now all these promises came true. He says, I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So there's those three promises. Verse 3 says, And I'll bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. We see he's obeying here. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So he was 75 years old. Who in here is 75 or older? What are the odds that you guys are going to have some children? Some of you are like, I hope not. Slim to none. So this is where the story of Abraham gets interesting. is because he's 75 and God just tells him, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. And I don't know if you looked at the definition of a nation lately, but that's a little more than two or three kids. Lot's 75, and he, I mean, not Lot, that's was Abraham. And he's thinking, um, God, I'm old. I'm real old. And I got no kids, and you just told me I'm going to get a nation. I don't see how this is going to happen. So I'm sure there's some doubt going on inside of this guy, some questioning, but he still obeys and he still has faith, right? So let's look at Genesis 15 now. Genesis 15. So we're going to see this thought process of how Abraham is still wrestling with the idea of the fact that God said he's going to make a nation out of him and, and he doesn't have kids and he's old, right? He, he's battling with this. Genesis 15 says... After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus, steward being his servant. This was his chief servant, and he didn't have kids, so he's saying, God, how, how am I going to... I'm childless, and, and how are you going to do this, and how are you going to bless me when I only have Eleazar, my servant? Verse 3 says, And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. I got no kids. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So Abraham here, he's, he's, he's unsure. He's old. He's childless. He says, God, my servant Eleazar is the only one in my house who can inherit anything when I die. How am I going to have a nation be my heir? 
Verse 4 says, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, meaning Eleazar, right? It's not going to be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. If you read the rest of the Genesis account um, of Abraham, you see that when Abraham was 99, anybody 99? Anybody in here? Not, Not today? Okay. Now he's 99. And this is when God changes his name to actually Abraham because his name means now father of nations. And, and Sarah, she's 90. They kind of laugh at this. Anybody 90 or above in here? Ivan? How old are you, Ivan? 91. Right? So you've got a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old basically just to, to round there for numbers. And God says, oh, you're going to have a kid. How would you like that? Yeah, yeah, I don't think so, right? I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. This is what God tells him, right? So, so if we look at down at verse 5 now, he brings him out, and this is what it says, verse 5, chapter 15. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them, and he said unto, them, unto him, so shall thy seed be. Now, we live in Idaho. Many might say it's God's country, especially if you moved here from California. <laughs> Just kidding. And when you go out at night, even in the city, even in Boise, you know, the big metropolis of Boise, you can see a pretty good amount of stars. But if you live out in the country or if you go camping or, or go out into the mountains and you look up, I mean, the, st- the sky is beautiful. I mean, it's just there's stars and you can see the different things and they're moving. And this is what God says to Abraham. He says, look at this. Takes him out. Look at that. That is going to be your inheritance. That's going to be the things that come from you. Now, can you imagine the struggle that this man is probably having in his mind at this point? Verse 6, and here's where the key comes in. I told you, not great detail. We're really, we have not dove into the story of Abraham and how this all rolls out with, with his son and, and his wife and, and how that comes to place. We, of course, we do know that Isaac is going to be born later, but before that, he has a son through the handmaid. Like, it, there, there's a whole other part of that, that story that goes into. But look at this, verse 6. And he believed. In other words, he trusted. He had faith in the Lord. And look at this last part. And he counted it to him for righteousness. Okay, God, I got no children. I I, I literally have no descendants right now. I'm really old. And you just told me I'm going to have as many descendants as the stars that I can't even count, okay, I believe you. I don't know how. I don't know the outcome. I do trust you, though, and I do have faith in you. And so God said to Abraham, I declare you righteous because you trusted in me. In other words, he counted to him for righteousness. It's trust. It's belief. It's faith. Those three simple things 
they're so, so, so simple that they are actually very, very difficult, very hard. Because in our stubborn minds, we think, oh, well, God can't fix my mess. If God can make Abraham and Sarah have a child and build a nation, and, and, and you guys do know all this came true, right? The nations that have come from Father Abraham and all that's taken place is because this man believed and he had faith. But yet, when we think about it, this thing of trust and belief and faith and saying, well, am I going to trust God? It seems so simple that it becomes very difficult. And we think, well, God can't fix our mess. If we look at the New Testament book of Romans, this is um, pointed out one more time. So we just saw that in the Old Testament where he says he counted to him for righteous. Look at Romans 4.3. Romans 4.3 um, says this. It says, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. So Abraham... This word righteousness, we know that he was in a right standing with God. He had a right standing relationship with God. And so that would leave us to ask the question, well, how can I have this relationship with God? Or can I have this relationship with God? And God revealed to Abraham the secret to knowing this. Which, as we just said, was this. The key, the way into a relationship with God is trust and it's faith. It's so, so simple. You're like, Cole, anybody could preach this. That's really easy. I get it. Yeah, it's easy to say, but it is so much more difficult to live out. When you simply say, God, I trust you, as these three things that we saw in Hebrews, God, I trust you, and I trust what you say. I trust you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Even though I don't see the outcome, then you are having faith and you're putting trust. But that is difficult to do. All God requires is that we trust him. But it's hard to simply just put trust when we put our man-made views and opinions on, on God. It's hard because of how we were raised. It's hard because of preachers and teachers and people in the church, people that have heard us, people that don't accept us. And we're not always accepted by others, and we're not always trusted by others. And so we take these man-made relationships that we have, and we say, well, that's the way God is. We put those views on a sovereign and holy God. And there is no other place, I'm telling you, there's no other place in the world where we will be totally, unconditionally loved, accepted, and cared for based on trust. Except with God. Not even your spouse. And, and most of us, many of us have a great standing relationship with our spouse. You're like, hey, I trust him. I love him. But even that is just earthly. God accepts us the way we are. And if we put our trust in him for who he is and who he says he will be, even when it makes absolutely no sense... That's the key. Now, this relationship with God, it's not a trust-free, I mean, it's not a trouble-free, adversity-free life when you trust God. Abraham had his issues. Again, he was 90. 
He was old. He had no kids. I'm sure he doubted. Many would say, oh, well, that's a sin. You can't doubt. You should just trust God fully. And he did. But there were seasons in his life where I'm sure he was doubting. But ultimately, he trusted God all through the, the hills and the valleys of this life and the circumstances that come into our life. And, and maybe you've had some of these experiences that have made it difficult for you to trust God. Maybe you've made a mess of things, like my son, like sin. And it's your choosing. It's your doing. You're saying, Cole, God's not coming to me telling me he's going to do something great through me because I've done this, this, and this, and this, and I've made a mess, and I can't fix it. You're right. You can't fix it. But it still goes back to faith. So whether, so whether it's a matter of, is God going to change you from a sinful lifestyle or a matter of, am I going to trust God to move me in the next direction? It's a matter of, am I going to trust and am I going to place my hope in him? And maybe you're at a place where you say, I don't even know if I believe in God. I don't even know if it's worth it. My life is so messed up, I don't even think God could do it. And that's why I say, this thing is so simple, but it's so hard. Trust and faith. A trust that says, God, you can change me. God, you can take me from this negative lifestyle that I'm in and you can move me. God, you can change my thinking pattern. God, you can, but it all still goes, even though we might have that faith and trust, there's still an action and there's still a choice on our part that we have to do. I want to read this last text of Hebrews 11.8 again. And focus on the, these, these three passages, or these three words here that we read aloud earlier. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, so we know God promised him the land. That's what we just read about in, in parts of the stories there in Genesis. He obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. So this is a simple truth. I told you today there's no basics. A lot of times we get so caught up on the details. I have to know the details. If I don't know the details, then I, I can't do it. I, I promise you, the details don't matter. I can't tell you how the notes that I'm teaching from on this iPad are here when I type them on my computer in my office, but they're also on the phone in my pocket and the laptop that's at my house right now. I have no idea how that all works. Don't care how it works, but I have faith that whoever made them, thanks Steve Jobs, knows what they're doing. So the details don't matter. These are the three truths that you have to, to look at today as we, as we take this one verse, Hebrews 11.8, and we go home with it. I want you to think about this. Will you have faith? It's so simple but so difficult. Now, there is no deep truth here today, church. Secondly, will you obey? I don't know what you need to have faith in. That's, that's, you know that. That's between you and God. Maybe you need to have faith that he's going to provide for you in a difficult season. I don't know what you need to obey him in besides the, the written word that we all have. That's a given. But the things that aren't written that we have to make that choice on, are you going to obey him? And then the last part of these, this and how it all ties together is, will you trust God even when you don't know 
the outcome. We take a story like the guy Abraham. Old, no kids. God's telling him he's going to do all these wonderful, awesome things and give him, make him a great nation out of him. and He's going to have a child. I don't know what's harder to believe, that or that God could move a mountain. They both seem kind of impossible. But Abraham said, I have faith, and I do believe that you're going to make this come to pass because you are the almighty God. I don't know the outcome, but I'm going to trust you. So the, the, the question in closing that I would leave you with today then, church, is this. Is there an area of your life that God is currently calling you to trust him in? I know it's a very generic question because we're all in different seasons. And sometimes if we're in backslidden seasons, seasons of sin, we feel like God can't hear us, God can't fix this mess, I've made this mess and I've got to clean it up before God's going to even use me or fix me. No, nope. you still just got to say, God, I'm going to trust, I'm going to obey, I'm going to start making the changes that I know I need to make. Maybe you're not in a season of sin. You're saying, hey, man, I'm walking right with God. I'm reading my Bible. I'm having a relationship. I'm trying to be a good witness at work. I'm doing what I believe God is calling me to do and raising my family the way God is calling me to raise me, raise them. But, there's always a but, right? There's something you're not trusting God with. You don't have faith that God can change that. Abraham trusted and obeyed, not knowing the outcome. Simple truth. That's it. And my question for you is, will you? Will you trust and obey God even when you don't know the outcome? Let's pray, church. God, thank you for this short time we've had together today. And I pray that as your word was read and as I spoke, God, that there's someone in this room that can take that and say, you know what, there are definitely some areas in my life where I need to have that simple, simple, basic faith and trust, even though it's a difficult thing to do, but that I would actually put my trust in you and believe that you're going to do what you say you can do. And if that, well, God, if we're sitting in a mess of our own making, that we wouldn't have the attitude or the mindset that we've got to fix it, that we would realize you are the one who can fix it. And we've just got to start. We've got to cry out to you and say, God, deliver me from this. Help me to have faith. Help me to trust you even when I don't see it, even when it doesn't make sense. God, it's your name we ask these things.